It is Locked on Jazz for the 2nd of May. We begin the series on what went wrong with the Utah Jazz. We're starting with expectations. Is it possible the Utah Jazz actually didn't underachieve? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks very much for making us your first listen. We greatly appreciate that. We are free and available on all platforms. Feel free to comment in this comment section of YouTube as the show's going on. That gives us a great deal. That helps us out a great deal. If you're listening on a podcast player and you have time to review us, we greatly appreciate that as well. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. Um, we, uh, I, uh, if you're wondering on me, I, Friday, I sulked Saturday. I skied the morning and biked 60 miles in the afternoon. I might go do the Moab Grand Fondo this weekend. Um, not really ready for it. It's pretty hard. So we'll see. Um, and then yesterday I, uh, I didn't do a lot. I hung around and, uh, chilled with my wife and daughter who are back. Um, so I want to start a series here in which we, what we're going to do is kind of go through theories of what happened during the season and what may have gone wrong during the season. And the, the concept really more than anything else is that I have to, I think you have to diagnose what took place, uh, before you can, uh, about make the next moves. Um, so, and I apologize for those of you who had, uh, got the hiccup this morning. We had a little tiny hiccup. Um, so I hope hope that didn't derail you catching the beginning show. You haven't missed much if you tune in right now. Um, so the first thing I think we have to do is kind of really try to figure out, like, you know, diagnose before we right, – I'm trading Donovan. I'm trading Rudy. Um, you know, where did it go wrong? You know, was our offense that was number one in the league false? Was our defense that slipped exposed? Were did our did our offs is our lack of filling out the roster around our stars the problem? Is our are our stars not as good as we think they are? There's is our coaching staff not as good as we think they are? Did our front office make too many draft misses? Did or trades like whatever whatever it might be, we have to figure out what that is to be able to, I think, analyze and figure out what's um, how to make the move. The, the, and so the first premise I want to throw out there is a little surprising, I think, and very different than what we talked about all year. A thought that I had off all season, and I, I shared it on Friday. And frankly, if you'd listened throughout the year, I kind of alluded to it every now and then. And that might, this one's really counterintuitive. And you don't have to buy these. Like in the comment section, I want you to be putting in, I don't buy this at all. 
or wow, hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. Is there a chance the Jazz actually didn't underachieve? And that the COVID season was an anomaly that led to a false expectation. And the reason I say this is if you look back at the Jazz over the last six seasons with Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert, they win 51 games. They have a 62% winning percentage. And then the next year, they add Donovan and still have Rudy as the core, and they win 59% of their games. And then they get a little better, and they win 61% of your games. And then they win 61% of the games again. And then out of nowhere, they win 72, and then they win 60% of the games. So if you looked at a team, and they went, 62, 59, 61, 61, 72, 60. Which would be the one that you would say, oh, that's that's the outlier, right? That's the outlier. Something funky happened there that allowed that to happen, that, that gave the jazz. And then when you look at that, and you say that that season is truly was a season that was um, was was abnormal. Well, now that suddenly jumps out to me a little bit, right? So if I have that line of thinking and that line of years in which this takes place, and then all of a sudden there's one year that's blippy the first thing I would say was, is there anything different about that year? If I was just doing this analysis and the answer would be, yeah, there's a lot that's different about this year. A lot. It was during COVID. There were no fans in the stands. Teams weren't practicing. I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. The way practice worked a year ago was that if you wanted to practice shoot around or practice on a home game. Every player had to come in, test, wait for the test results. Then you got on the floor. And if you were playing that day, so it was a shoot around, you had to redo that again before you went to the arena or at the arena. So the means was if you were going to have a 10 o'clock shoot around in the morning, Every single one of your players probably had to start getting there like 8.30 or so to get tested and then sit around for an hour, supposedly social distanced and not interacting. If you were on the road, so if you're in, let's call it Cleveland, and you want to go to the arena, which is a mile, like a blink of an eye away, takes three minutes, you would have to go get tested Everyone would have to come down at the at the hotel in the morning, get tested. All the tests would be taken. They couldn't all take them at times. You couldn't get together as a group. Shipped out to the testing facility, which would probably be outside the, the city somewhere. It's called 30 Minutes. Wait for all the results to come back. Then you could get in the bus. Then you could go. That would be the easiest of all scenarios. But again, if you're shooting around at 10 or 11, everyone's got to come down 
9, testing's got to be done by 10, 10, 15. Testing gets driven out. Actually, back that up, right? And so the impact of that was that most teams didn't practice and most teams didn't shoot around. And so, whereas the Utah Jazz found a way with the continuity that they had on their roster that they held together from the year prior, which is a smart move by the front office, to excel. They found a way to be able to have meetings that were legal. You could have groups of like two or three. They did a lot of coaching on Zoom. They did, they, they, the, the coaching staff of the Jazz decided to view that as an opportunity, not a hindrance. And they went and built a system that basically, I don't think, from my understanding, anybody else in the NBA built. And they vastly overachieved and got the number one seed and set our new expectation for this group that that's where we were supposed to be. Is there a chance that that misled us, misled all the front office, misled the coaching staff, the players and their self-expectations in a way that led to most of the problems of the season? Any internal stuff, any frustration, any energy around the mojo around the team made the playoff failure of the Clippers so painful that it lingered. We'll talk about it. There also might have been some basketball things that year that led the Jazz to do some things differently that the rest of the league didn't react to, that in turn, that got also led to a false pretense. So hypothesis one, and these do not, you don't have to buy these, they're just ideas. And you can talk about in the chat room, whether in the YouTube chat room you can talk about or amongst yourselves or at the office. This hypothesis one, is that the outlier year was actually the COVID season. And otherwise, we've been pretty true to who we are. And then that would mean you build the team, what you do in the offseason is a little different based on this, okay? So uh, that's the first concept. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy, located out in Woods Cross, also in Logan. Uh, my good friends over at Murdoch, Blake and the crew and Ben and Tyson and all them, Got to love the fact that they've decided that they will not charge you more than MSRP on any vehicle, despite the car shortage, despite the fact that most people are doing it, despite the fact they could get away with it. Blake simply said to me, I don't want to have a relationship where I run into someone at the grocery store, or the church, or wherever it is, and feel as though I took them. It's not who we are as a family, and it's not who we're ever going to be. The Chevy lineup, the trucks, the Silverado, the Colorados are amazing. The SUVs lead off with the Utah County assault vehicles, the Suburban and the Tahoe, and then they run down to the tracks and the Traverse, and they're truly amazing. So feel free to go check it out at Murdoch Chevy in Woods Cross. And Logan, if you want to set up a meeting, feel free to do so. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. They've got the new granola bars. It's a new experience. It's 15 grams of protein. It's the coconut chocolate. It's the chocolate peanut butter and the white chocolate berry granola bars. Still 100% real chocolate and still 100% really delicious you can get the mixed box if you want to as well. I was down at the, uh, the other day at the uh, Built Bar factories and got to see it. The coconut marshmallow puffs, the churro puffs, the banana cream pie. And by the way, those people like Nick Angstead talking about the double brownie batter puff, whatever it was, incredible. Absolutely amazing. Check it all out. The regular bars are still there too. 130 calories, 2.5 fat grams, 4 net carbs, 4 sugars, 6 grams of fiber, and 17 grams of protein. It's all at Built Bar. All right, so the first premise that we're throwing out there today, thank you very much for making Lockdown Jazz your first listen of the day. For your second listen, 
Go check out Locked on NBA Big Board. That's our draft show carrying you through. Chad Ford has retired, and Rafael Barlow is the new rising draft expert, and he's giving you all the expertise. He's been in Europe much of the year. Jazz don't have a pick, but it's we're going to do a lot of draft stuff because the chances are the Jazz make a trade that end up with a pick, and so we should know who maybe they're trying to target or who you want to go get. So we'll be doing a lot of draft stuff as well. And I like the draft, and we'll just hang out and do it. All right, so the first premise is that the outlier year was the 2020. 21 season and everything else is actually looks like it would be if you had a graph it would just go now that's exactly the sounds of the graph uh and so it why is is it fair to say that that season could be somewhat of an outlier and uh so here's part two of that concept part one is that the jazz had a game part two is the jazz went and did some things differently than the rest of the NBA. They played a style of game in two ways that was different than the NBA. Um, And it reminds me a little bit of what Memphis did this year. Memphis this year, I thought, tricked the league, and the league was really slow to catching it. Memphis played with incredible tenacity on the offensive glass, and then Memphis played with in transition at a level that most teams um, could not. So the first thing the Jazz did is they started to win a math battle. They, they started to play early in the shot clock um, and with more and started shooting threes in the shot clock in a much earlier way than anyone had in the league prior. The first six seconds of the shot clock, they were getting threes off at an incredible rate, um, a rate that was unequaled around the league. And I think it allowed for the Jazz to surprise the league and play in a style and shoot particularly well um, that the rest of the league didn't have. So the Jazz went and took, in the night 2021 season, the Jazz took 49.5% of their shots in the first six seconds of the shot clock as threes. The league average at the time was 35, and no one had even come close to doing anything of this sort before. If you look back at the 1920 season, Dallas took the most at 44 and the league average was about 35% of your shots as threes in 1920. And the jazz jumped up on that number and exceeded it in a, in a manner that the rest of the league really wasn't particularly ready for. And then they shot the lights out. They shot fifth at a effective field goal percentage of 57% in those early opportunities. And they hit about 40% of those threes and if you looked at the first eight seconds of the shot clock, the Jazz were taking 50% of their shots as threes, which was the most in the league, and the league average was 37%, and the Jazz just shot it super well. The Jazz QSI, which you've heard me talk about before, which is shot quality, um, was through the roof. They, they, I don't remember the number. Um, it, it was through the roof. So the Jazz played a different style. The first thing they did is they shot, and they got out early, and they shot, and the rest of the league didn't really react to it in the same fashion as they do some other things. And this season, as teams prepared, particularly as we saw in the playoffs, teams prepared and got a little more used to that. And that number went down ever so slightly during the season from suddenly us taking 50% of our shots as threes to taking about 44%, 43% of our shots as threes. And our shooting went from that 
the number I gave earlier down about two or three percentage points. Don't have them exactly, but it was a sign that the league had adapted and begun to understand what we were doing. The other thing that happened this year is that there were fans in the crowd and league shooting was not as good this year as it was the year prior. If you go, and so that gets back to the blip theory and a little bit of the blip theory. And now let me again start where I did at the beginning of the show. I have to probably repeat this a lot. On all of these, all of what we want to do on everything right now is take the one singular reason why the Jazz did not have the season we anticipated and pin it on that. And the fact is that I think by the time we're done with this week, we're going to have like 12% this, 13% this, 14% this, 15% this, 18% that. And that's the reality. And so this is probably a piece of the equation. And if you're listening to this show, it's as though I think it's the only thing, and that's not true at all but it's a part of the equation of what took place. And I think that's really what I'm trying to show you is that there's a bunch of parts of equations um, here that um, that can happen. So one thing that happened this year in the NBA is that the three-point shooting went to 36. In 1920, uh, regular season, the NBA from three, so go back, this is back to three years ago, shot 36.3%. And then this year, the NBA shot, waiting for the number to come up, I think about 36.3%. Actually, I thought it was about the exact same. Uh, shot 35.8%. So 36.3, 35.8. If you back it out and you look at the 18-19, look at all these seasons we're talking about, it was 36% in the 18-19 season. And in the 17-18 um, season, it was 36.7. So it went from 36.7 and 17-18 to 18-19 season where it went to 36%. So it dropped from 37 to 36. And then it went to 36.3% in the 19-20 season. And then it dropped from our 36.3 to this season. And that a little bit that 36.3 is because of the bubble, which gave us an end of season jump. 30 to 35.8. And if you look at the middle season with no fans in the crowd and all the COVID restrictions, it was a 37.2% shooting. So the outlier that year was that shooting was too good, was much, or not too good, was just much better than it's ever been. And one of the things where the Jazz as a team and coaching staff and front office had kind of tricked the league was playing this early three-point shooting game and shooting more threes than they've ever shot before, which created... Part of the maybe the blip. Right? And so there you have part two. Part three is another thing that the Jazz did, which is that the Jazz, very similar to the um, Memphis Grizzlies, started offensive rebounding. So we've talked about this plenty of times before. Um all of these, I don't have like new information. We've, we've touched on most. So if you look at offensive rebounding in like the 20, 11, 12 years ago, it was at 29%. Okay. Team's offensive rebound. Then Doc Rivers won a championship in Boston and Greg Popovich won championships. And every, and suddenly everyone said, you shouldn't offensive rebound. You got to get back in transition. Transition's too important. And offensive rebounding went from 29 to 30%. To the 1920 season, it suddenly dropped all the way down to 25%. A huge, huge drop. And the Jazz said, well, that is a big enough drop 
and the offenses are getting better, that offensive rebounds are actually now have flipped on the other side of Moneyball. And so what happened was because offensive rebounds became so infrequent, they became more important and more valuable. And because offenses went, if you go back and look at the 19, let's go back, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 years, when this first started, the offensive rating of the league was 107 points per 100 possessions. And by the time we got to the 2021 season, the offenses were 113 points per possession. So suddenly every offensive possession is worth more and people are offensive rebounding less. And someone went ding, 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 ding. This seems like a really good opportunity. And the Jazz did exactly that. And they took advantage of it with some really interesting numbers. And I'll get to those here in just a second to kind of show you what it did. And then we'll explain, and maybe that'll explain a little bit. Uh, Again, this is just a theory. And in the chat room over on YouTube, you can tell me why you think this is a terrible theory. BetOnline.net is your number one choice for all your betting stats, sports info. Find all the latest developments, league reviews, and news, including the year's basketball playoffs and start the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your convenient source for all your sports wagering information for live betting to playoff esports and more. Head to the website today at BetOnline.net to get use your mobile device to learn more about the actions, trends. BetOnline, where the game starts. What do we got tonight? We got the kickoff of the two series. Boy, the games were good yesterday. Um, and we also got all baseball to take place. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, by the way, I am following the entire baseball season based on um, Locked On Now's, uh, the Locked On Now podcast, which is the recap of every game. It's been kind of fun. Uh, here's the series odds. 76ers are, pl- are Miami's minus 355 with Embiid's injury. Suns are minus 285. Bucks are now minus 140, so they're now favored. And the Warriors are minus 525, massively favored after their win yesterday. It's all at betonline.net. So... The Jazz astutely go and grab the fifth most in the 2021 season. The Jazz kind of start heading toward offensive rebounding, and they grab the fifth most amount of offensive rebounds in a game. At tw- They suddenly jump to 27% offensive rebounding, and then what they really do is off the offensive rebounding, they start throwing up threes. And so the Jazz end up um, – the eighth best team in the league off of what's called a putback off a live offensive rebound. And they end up in those offensive rebounding opportunities, get having an offensive rating of 117.5. Oh, that was in the playoffs last year. Let's see in the regular season. It's not, I knew that number wasn't quite right. So in the regular season, the jazz in the 2021, in the 20 last season, sorry, let me pull this back up for you. Uh, I'd written that down wrong. In the 2020 season, the Jazz, if you look at what they did in their offensive rebounding, is when the rest of the league had suddenly decided that offensive rebounding was not that important. The Jazz jumped the gun on it and said, no, 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 it's down to 25%, as we were just talking about. It's totally worth it. And the Jazz went and became the number five offensive rebounding team. And then when you suddenly looked at what that meant, though, is what they did with the offensive rebounds. And again, the league reacts to this the league kind of figures this out a little bit. Um, But I think in maybe, maybe the theory is that in the COVID season, they didn't. So if you look at the Jazz off of putbacks, which is clearly to clean the glass, the Jazz um, got the ninth most points off misses in the season. Um, 
off of field goals that were missed during that season. And they averaged about 112.8 points per on that. And then you go look at what happened this year and the jazz still continued to offensive rebound, but they weren't as proficient as being able to get to the threes off of those plays. Um, in some of the ways there, they were, at, they, they had more, they had more points off misses. They, and they were more efficient. They just got it a little less frequently um, in some of that. They also had, <clears throat> frankly, some transition defense issues during the season. But the Jazz also came up with the number one offense in the league this year, largely because of these same some of these same factors. Like So this wasn't totally figured out. They just did this better than the rest of the league. They were the number one offense in the league. They were the number five offensive rebounding team in the league. And they were pretty good on those putbacks in the 2021-22 season. So this one was not as much discovered. You didn't see quite as similar a breakdown um, as some of those three stuff didn't go. And then when we got to the playoffs, obviously teams prepare for it even more. So I don't know. This is just a theory that I think we probably should have to the season um, of whether or not, you know, the blip on the radar and that as we evaluate this team and look at trying to, make the changes for the next season. The impact of this would be that you look at the team and you say, you know what, truly what this is, is a four or five seeded team that wins about 59 to 60% of their games, which is outstanding and very natural in the progression of Donovan and Rudy. And now you've got to figure out how to add to those pieces or alter those, or you could decide that you think either Donovan or Rudy is capped at this level, that's the reality of what you can do if they're your best players. And so you have to decide whether that's okay or how can you complement them more. I mean, the other part of this is, like, when you think about our expectations, the stars we have on our roster, I'm not sure that either, you know, Donovan and Rudy, I think we're both third team the year before. Maybe one of them was second team. And, and I'd have to go check. Maybe Rudy was even was bigger than that. You know, when you look across the when you look across the NBA at this point and like, we don't have a Luca, we don't have a Jokic, we don't have a Steph. Um, you know, we don't have Chris Paul, frankly, is really, you know, quite a world-class star and Devin Booker is an MVP candidate. Like we don't quite have some of those caliber level stars that exist. Um, Rudy in 2021 was third team all NBA. We have two guys that are, are third team all NBA or they fall on the other side of that. And so maybe that's another one where what we were trying to do is this collective body of talent to propel us to these new heights, which is really something that's almost never been done in the history of the game. And that was another slightly false pretense is that, um, you know, is, is that frankly, those that, that, that led to a little bit of a false expectation that that collective body of group that we're trying to propel forward with Boyan and Mike and Joe and George and all that the year before, and then differently this year was actually a model that frankly, when it gets right down to it, isn't one that actually does a lot of, that, that actually works that the, frankly, it's a star driven league and you go as far as your best players go. And that, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo was the best player in the world last year and won the title. And Chris Paul has been otherworldly recently. And Devin Booker has vaulted himself up into a different stratosphere as a player. 
and that that's allowing those teams. And Memphis would be really interesting. Memphis will be interesting to watch. I think Memphis, if if you buy this theory, you can decide it's not great, is what you'll find, I think, is that Memphis may fall into this a little bit. We'll see. Like, Memphis ran on everyone more than they're used to. They got a great seed in the playoffs, so they won a playoff series against an inexperienced team. They came back and beat them a bunch of times, very similar to what the Jazz did to Memphis last year. And that then when now they hit the Warriors, that they run into a little bit of a wall, though they gave a hell of a fight the other night, and they might still win that series. I mean, they match up super well with the Warriors. So there's some element to that. And then, you know, so will we won a playoff series. Yeah, because we had the seeding. We tricked the league. Favorites win. Like, I don't know if you heard my note on that, but all eight favorites won last year. The year prior, seven of the eight favorites won. The year prior to that was the bubble, seven of the eight favorites won. The year before that was non-bubble and eight of the eight favorites won. So in non-bubble seasons, over the last three years, there's only been two upsets. In the last five years, there's only been four upsets. And the Jazz over the Thunder were one of them. So the regular season is not something you just dismiss. The regular season actually really tells you an awful lot about where your team is, who they are, and what's going to happen out of them um, and and how they're going to win. And so the Jazz had this season last year where they made this great run and they had did all these things collectively really, really well. And they tricked the league and the players played great. and They did all these things and they got themselves a seed that gave them a win. And then they ran into the Clippers. The other note on that, by the way, is the Jazz had incredible health that year. And they also had incredible... Um, and they ran into a lot of teams that were injured, so that there really might be all these little blips, right? Like, so the theory one, theory one on the Utah Jazz is that they are the blip is the out of ordinary item, and that they're actually the Jazz are on a pretty straight path of being a 60% win team over the last five years six years with Rudy Gobert and either Gordon Hayward or Donovan Mitchell. And that what you're trying to build off is a 60% win team and see if you can vault that to the next level, not trying to recreate what happened in the weird COVID season. That's theory one. Put in the comment sections on YouTube, what you think, or hit me on Twitter at DLock09 and let me know. This is Locked on Jazz. Back with you tomorrow with another theory on the jazz season.